If you're newer with us, the way that we plan our Sunday morning sermon series is by taking a book of the Bible and kind of working our way through it section by section. Um, It's been our custom to kind of have several books going uh, simultaneously, and we'll jump in and out, kind of picking up where we last left off uh, until we finish that book and move on to something else. So it was last May uh, that we were in Exodus. And so far in the story and book of Exodus, we've seen God raise up Moses to lead his rescue efforts of his people, the Israelites, from slavery in Egypt. And he uses miraculous events and circumstances um, that, that basically decimate the Egyptian people to the point they have really no other option but to let God's people go. And so they begin the march out of Egypt to the Red Sea, but Pharaoh and his army pursues them and into a parted Red Sea, only to inflict the final blow upon Pharaoh's army as Israel safely makes it to the other side. We see the walls of the Red Sea come crashing down on the armies of Pharaoh. This morning we'll be looking at Exodus 15, starting in verse 22 and going all the way through verse 27, if you want to begin turning there. Uh, We ended our time in Exodus with the people singing and celebrating their deliverance at the beginning of chapter 15. But now God is about to continue to march his people towards the lands that he has promised them. But first, they have to journey into the wilderness. In previous times together, we talked about the state of God's people to this point. I want you to imagine a a people that have been in Egypt over 400 years. So long that generations have passed since they were really God's people. And so most of them have only known themselves as Pharaoh's people. So there's still plenty of work to be done teaching a new generation of followers what it means to faithfully follow the God of their forefathers. God chooses to use the wilderness as a time of teaching, to teach obedience and how to apply faith uh, faithfully, showing them who he is and how to worship but when necessary, also disciplining them for disobedience and rebellion. The desert isn't like the land that they've been promised. It also isn't at times, uh, it's also at times a harder place than, than what they survived in Egypt. If you remember that one of their com- continued demands to Pharaoh, we see this in Exodus 5.3, Um, their request to Pharaoh is this, let us journey three days into the wilderness that we might sacrifice to the Lord our God. And so in this passage, in Exodus 15, 22, this has finally happened. They are three days into the wilderness, and they're realizing as soon as they get there that this request is easier said than done. You see, the people of God knew who they were in Egypt. As as bad as their life was, at least they knew it. It was something familiar with with them. It it, it represents some of the lowest points of the life of of the Israelites. But it was familiar. It was known to them. Several times, we're going to hear them as they complain and groan, look, and they want to go back to the familiar. They asked to go back to Egypt. As hard as their life was, it was known to them. We also know that they've been promised a land where they can flourish 
Many of them left Egypt and drove out of Egypt for, for, with great expectations of what was unknown but what was promised to them. And so their expectations are high when it comes to God, a heaven on earth. But between Egypt and between this promised land is, is the wilderness. It's the in-between. It's the already and the not yet. And we're going to see as we dive into this history of God's people in the wilderness that it's in this place that God chooses to form his people. To be true and faithful worshipers of God, part of that means learning who God is and what he's asked of us. It will always include putting away our reliance on other things. That could be self-reliance, it could be reliance on the world, it could be reliance on the strength and power and security of of an evil place like Egypt. Whatever you've relied on in your natural life, it's learning to rely on God alone. I would argue what better place to do that than a desert wilderness where only God can provide, where only God can sustain. What about you, though? When we think about this text, it's easy to get historic about it, but we want to bring it back home to the here and now. What about you? When we're looking to begin a new year, there's always a lot of looking back. We look at back at this past year. We, we build our expectations for 2021. And the real question for us is, yes, look back to 2020. Yes, look forward to 2021. But as we, as we think about where we are here and now, how is God forming you right here? How is God forming you right now in the already and not yet? So if you would, turn with me to Exodus 15, 22. And if you're able, I'd like you to stand wherever you are in honor of God's word um, as I read it for us. Starting in verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Mirah, they could not drink the water of Mirah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Mirah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, you will put none, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water, 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Take your seats and let me pray for us. Father, we pray even now for the teaching of your word, that it would be powerful and effective. Show us our motives, reveal to us our errors, and lead us in the way everlasting. In your holy son's name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want you to imagine with me a people of God celebrating 
fresh off a victory, watching the most dominant superpower in history to that point crushed, finally, by the mighty hand of God, spurs on this song of singing that we see at the first part of Exodus 15. And now they're packing for a journey that they've been told will take them to a land that God has promised to them that will help them to flourish the rest of their life. There's a lot of them. We know that. We don't know how many, but we know that there are thousands, if not hundreds of thousands. There's also a lot of livestock. We also know that they're carrying with them the spoils from Egypt. As Pharaoh lets them go, he doesn't just let them go. He says, take whatever is not nailed down with you. And so they do. Riches and livestock and provision, everything with them on this journey through the Red Sea and now into the wilderness. So they certainly, being at the Red Sea, would have planned on their exit from that. They would have planned with provisions and stocking up enough provisions for them uh, to, to make it to the next place where they could resupply. Now, I don't know if the Israelites are better at packing and provisions and entertainment on a journey than the Rayfords, but let me just give you a window in the Rayfords. No matter how well we pack for our kids in the car, no matter how many snacks or what entertainment, whether it be uh, Amazon Fires or iPads, we'll throw anything in front of them to extend the journey a little bit for us. Inevitably, it always feels like we are out in the first 30 minutes. They've eaten through everything. The batteries on their iPads or whatever are dead, and, and they're, they're coming to complaining. They're coming to asking for new things. Uh, they want to stop. I don't know if there's anything like that going on here, but we know there's something like that. Verse 22 tells us that they've traveled three days into the wilderness and and found no place to resupply along the way. So they may not yet be out of water, but a panic has set in on the people that soon they will be, and there is no solution. So as you begin to make preparations with not a lack of, with maybe you aren't out of water, but you begin to start thinking about what if you do run out of water? Who gets the water? Where does it come from? How do we divvy that out? Is there panic set in? How do we tell the people? How do we communicate? And unlike their family, they aren't, they aren't given the privilege of just pulling off the exit to a gas station and buying something or get, throwing a new CD or introducing them to something else. They're in a desert wilderness. And water isn't plentiful. So something like water is a critical resource for a group this size traveling as they are. And so they finally get to this place three days in where they see water at a place called Mira. Now, maybe the name, I'm not sure if it was named that before or after by the people, but whatever it knows, Mira is named because it means bitter. And so that should have given them some clue as to what the waters were like or certainly from then on gave everyone else who came what the waters uh, were going to be like. So the first thing we see in this passage that I want us to remember is disappointment is part of the journey. Disappointment is part of the journey. I want you to imagine the disappointment of getting to a place of panic on the edge uh, of thirst, and you finally see a water source, and you get to it only to realize that it might as well be a million miles away. It's useless. It's undrinkable. I want you to imagine for a second, in a group that size, what the conversations must have been like. 
It may have been a lot like what happens in our country and other places when things start to stir and things are in doubt. As a crowd as large as this one, I'm sure they weren't short of opinions on how to fix the problem. Go back, go forward, go sideways, boil it down, add something to it. In a community that size, I'm sure they had their share of critics, conspiracy theorists as to how the water became bitter, liberals, conservatives, backseat drivers, flat earthers, cat people, dog people, you name it. They had to have their everyone represented in a crowd that large. So we see here how easily our circumstances can divide us. That disappointment is natural as we realize that the world doesn't revolve around us. It's a harsh reality. We naturally want things our way. That's, that's ingrained in every one of us. And anything outside of that causes conflict within us and that can spill out into others and us and, and people around us into div- division. And so certainly that's what we're seeing here in the people of God, conflict and division. It it doesn't take much as we look at 2020 to remind us that God has been unusually gracious in showing us our battle to have things our way. We have splits on a worldwide pandemic or a media-inflated illness, a battle for racial injustice, or a group of people bent on spreading chaos? A new president or stolen election? So let me ask you, can, can, can you see how we could possibly relate to the need and disappointment of God's people in our text as they come to these waters? Now let me just forward with all that I just said there. If you have hate mail, don't send it to me. Um, I'm going to ask very specifically, send it to Barr, okay? Any, any comments on that, just send it right to Barr. He, he handles conflict a lot better than I do at this point. Um, so just send it on to him, and he'll, he'll get back to you very uh, graciously and quickly uh, when he returns from vacation. He'll love that I said that. Uh, speaking of leaders, here we have Moses, right? The leader of this exodus, the one who spoke first about leaving this place, Right? Uh, and in the words of Shakespeare, uneasy lies the head that wears the crown, right? That's, that's Moses here at this point. Um, he's, he's tired of all the grumbling, I'm sure. He's heard it probably from the start of there, but it's much louder now. He's fallen from A-lister, the guy who saw the Red Seas parted and the Pharaoh's army and the celebrate. He's leading the song, and now he's fallen from A-lister to public enemy number one. In the eyes of the people. Now I know that we should be grateful in all seasons. I I know that we should trust the Lord in all circumstances. But let me ask you as a believer in Christ. Even in the midst of 2021. Or the uncertainty of 2021. uh, uh, Is is there a place where we can go. When we need a good griping session. When we can just let it all loose. When we can just let it all out. All, all the frustrations of 2021, all the frustrations of 1981 up to this point, whatever it is, is there a place that we can go as a believer where we can just let all of that go? Look at verse 25. Moses, he, he cried to the Lord. Now, before we get to this awesome log, and we want to talk about that, 
Don't, don't jump ahead here. Moses was stuck. Moses was tired. He saw his national approval rating slipping to record historic numbers. Completely incapable of providing what the people needed. It's a little interesting to me that they went to Moses and began to grumble to him. He's certainly an easy target as kind of the spokesperson for God here, so we're understanding of that. But, But let's not forget that in the midst of all of this lack of water, and we're looking around and asking, where are we going? There is this huge pillar of fiery cloud amidst the people. Let's not forget that that's a reality, even as they're grumbling to Moses, that there's this huge column of smoky, fiery column that never leaves. Day and night, it's there in front of the people. So it wasn't Moses who led them to this place on this three-day journey into the wilderness. We often question, did God lead us here? Is God led us to where we are? In this instance, in this particular instance, when the people begin to grumble, there is no question who is at the helm of the ship. It's the fiery column of awesome fire and smoke that represents the Lord Almighty who has led them to this place. There's no question. They cannot cry incompetence on the part of Moses. They can't cry a lack of gifting or a lack of purpose in Moses for him to be here. It was God that led them to this place. The only finger can be pointed at God. But but Moses is an easy target to point their frustration. He's the most tangible and the least frightening representative, right, of God's presence. Disappointment is part of the journey that God is leading the people on. That brings us to our second point this morning. Disappointment is part of the journey, but it's God who hears and answers our cries for help. Moses cries out to God, to the one that brought them there, to the only one who could satisfy their needs. As as we sit here at January 3rd, and we begin to reflect on 2020, let me ask you this question. Who have you cried to? Now, I'm not saying moment by moment I knew that we probably have cried, but in the general, when you look at the, the general course direction of your life over just this particular year, well, all that's gone on, where has your focus, your attention been? Where have, and to whom have you cried? That question alone is super convicting to me. Because when I feel attacked, my first response isn't to go to the Lord. I often prefer the quick fix solution to long suffering. Where do we go with our pains and our disappointments? Perhaps you build a wall and you shut yourself off from the world or others. Maybe you try to take matters into your own hands and attack the problem or person or issue. And and Moses may have done all of these things. We know that at other times in this journey, he does those things. But what we're left with here is the end result. We don't know the journey. We just know the end result. We're given this snippet that when the grumbling started, Moses went before the Lord. Let's see what the Lord answered, verse 25, second half. And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. 
For unknown reasons, God did not choose to use the staff as the miracle uh, worker here, as he had in other times. But what's important here is not necessarily the tool of their deliverance so much as who receives the glory. That's always been the case. When we look back to the plagues of Israel, why did God use the staff? Why not Aaron or Moses' hand or foot or, or words? Why always a staff or a stick to do these things? Well, it's because God was making it very clear that he was going to work through a conduit. God was going to work on behalf of the people, but, but it was God's power and authority. It was never to be confused in any of these situations or scenarios that some sort of plague or some came out of the hand of man. That Moses had some magical power to him to do any of this work without God. That's why the stick. That's why the log. The piece of wood, it's just a piece of wood. What it shows is God's provision. What it foreshadows is God's ultimate provision in Christ Jesus. His conduit for our salvation. It's God who hears and answers our cries for help. Not just your physical thirst, but your spiritual thirst. Last point this morning. Disappointment is part of the journey. It's God who hears and answers our cries for help. And God works purposefully, even when we can't see, to reveal and to bless his children. God works purposefully, even when we can't see, to both reveal and to bless his children. Remember, we talked earlier about the wilderness being a time of growth for the people. So it's clear that we see that God purposely brought them to this place in between the Red Sea and in between Elam, which we read about as this paradise with seven springs and 70. I mean, in a wilderness, that would have been this huge, awesome paradise for them to find, which was just right around the corner. They're brought there at the brink of thirst with no visible water source for the sole purpose to reveal their heart. Read the end of verse 25. There the Lord made with them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you, that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Here God creates a standard for his people to follow. If you diligently listen, do what is right, keeping all the statutes, you will not suffer the fate of Egypt. What we see here is a precursor to the law of God that God is about to give to the people. And in, in, in much of the same things, if you obey, even from the very covenant of works in Genesis uh, 3, if you obey, I will bless. If you do not obey, then curses will be upon you. He's about to give them the law to help them. Ultimately, the law is to reveal the all-important truth that you and I still need on January 3rd, 2021, we still need to hear this important truth that God is speaking right here to the people of God. In that day, you cannot hope to please God without his help and intervention. That is what he's saying in this text. In verse 20 and 25, where he makes this rule in the statute and he tests them, he is ultimately saying in verse 26, in setting up this law, 
for them. And the statute, this rule, is to say, you cannot hope to please me without my help. Some of you may watch YouTube more than just our sermon on Sundays, and you may be familiar with the thing that got popular this past year. It may be older than that. I was introduced to it this past year. It's called the Kids Candy Challenge. Are you guys familiar with this? So we have some parent or guardian or somebody that has their kid at a table, bowl of M&Ms or their favorite candy in front of them, secret camera or phone hooked up somewhere, filming the kid with the candy in front of them. Are you familiar with this? The whole time, the parent instructs the child and comes and says, I'm going to lay this. I'm going to go out of the room. Do not take any of this candy while I'm gone. And when I come back and upon my return, I will give you some of the candy, right? And then the parent leaves the room, inevitably with the camera on, and this is where the whole thing ensues, where we watch this kid squirm and, and struggle and sit quietly or go right in, you know, timing to see how quickly they get into the candy, whether they get into the candy at all. Now, I have no issue with you sanctifying your children through trial and error. Obviously, God did that with his people as well. I'm a little fearful uh, that one day if I were to do that, some employer might stalk my child on YouTube and find him slipping himself M&Ms outside of my pre- uh, presence as some sort of concern for their character, and he may not get hired. So that's the only reason I wouldn't put that on YouTube. But, but here's the point of that and how it connects to this. The only reason the kid grabs the M&Ms is, is in their young, inexperienced heads, they believe that they're truly alone. You don't see in any of the videos the kid immediately grabbing the M&Ms in the presence of the parent because the parent has set the statute. He's laid before him the clear rules of don't get into the candy, and the parent is there to slap the hand or push the bowl away or whatever. It's, it's only when the parent leaves that we get the issues and we get the entertainment because in that moment, the child believes that they're truly alone. They don't realize they're being filmed, and they think that they're truly alone. And so we laugh and we cringe because we know that they aren't. It's, it's kind of a cringeworthy moment if you're watching your kids. It's like, oh, well, they passed the test. Because we know, we know, the watcher knows, the parent knows with clear certainty what they cannot see or grasp in the moment. That their father is right there waiting to bless them waiting to come back and give them what he's promised. But they can't see it or grasp it at the time. As 2020 has dragged on into the desert, many of us have begun to run low on sustenance or provisions. And just like the kids, we believe the lie. We begin to believe this lie that we're alone. We may not say it. We may never voice it. We may never tell anyone, not even our closest friends, but the truth is in our actions. We begin to believe that we're alone because we begin to look for relief in other places. And that is the dead ringer giveaway that we believe that God is not present, that God is not keeping his promises, that God will not provide. And we begin to look for relief in other places. But the reality is, for us, just like these kids, is we were never alone. We may not have a film on us like we sometimes believe, but God is always watching. He's always there. He's always present. 
not to catch us, but, but to instruct us, to love us, and to remind us that He is there waiting to bless. So as we think about 2020, as we reflect on what has gone and, and where we might be and how we might be feeling at this moment in time, it's so important that we remember that it was the Lord. We may not have the column of smoke and fire to make it inevitably clear, but the reality is nothing has changed about us that was true about the Israelites in the wilderness. God is present. God has led us to this point. Not Moses, not Donald Trump, not, not any group, Black Lives Matter, not Fox News, not CNN. No one has led us here but God himself to this place and this point. And hear me, hear me. The Lord has brought us to this place with great purpose to refine and sharpen our worship, to deepen our love and our pursuit of his glory over our own. It's the same principle that we see here in Exodus 15 is true for us as we reflect and we look forward. The Lord has brought us to this place with great purpose to refine and sharpen our worship, to deepen our love in our pursuit of His glory above and beyond our own. You and I have the benefit of history reading this moment and hundred others like it to confirm that God doesn't break His promises. We know from the story, if we just read just, just, just a verse longer, Elam is right around the corner. There's no need to grumble. God will clearly provide for his people. And even if he doesn't provide in Elam, he has the ability to provide through the log. And even if he doesn't provide through the log and we're lost physically in that moment, we still enter the promised land, the eternal land that God has provided for his people that is better than Elam that is better than Canaan. It's far better than we could ask or imagine. There's been nothing like it seen by the eyes of men. Beheld a paradise with an abundance of provision. We know God can empower His people to adequately deal with the temptations of thirst, suffering, waiting, and He expects that we would live without losing belief that God is right there that he's active. This is the statute and rule that God sets up. It's his expectation on the people of Israel right here is that they would continue to believe out of his presence as though his presence were there. Column of fire or no column of fire. Water or no water. The people would continue to believe. The people would continue to be obedient, to be faithful. So if we just stop there, we would leave out this huge component that's missing. God doesn't just reveal what is in error in our hearts. He goes above and beyond that by blessing his children anyway. The reason why the Kid Challenge challenge is so entertaining um, is because we, we know that the kid can't wait. Oftentimes, the kid, you know, maybe yours catches on to it and doesn't eat the M&Ms. Maybe they show some restraint and they don't do it. Um, but parents know this, whether the bowl is still full or whether the bowl is empty, the reality is all of us is they're, they're, they're thinking about eating them, right? <laughs> they're thinking about taking them. They may not actually do it, but they're thinking about it. And so whether even our actions, our failures, 
whether they be internal or external, we are, we are prone to think about relief in other places. And even the thought of that is appalling to God, a holy God who expects nothing but faithful obedience to us. The reality is all of us in some way or another haven't come through 2020 whole. We've all looked for relief in other places. Whatever it might have been, we stumbled. Maybe we saw parts of ourselves. Maybe we saw parts of others that shocked us, that wounded us, that disheartened us. I've seen our our present realities divide homes, marriages, churches, communities. And even as we look at 2021, we don't know how God is going to resolve all of that. We don't know what the end result may be. But we're sure of this. Jesus left the protection of his throne in heaven, humbling himself to pursue you and me to bring together a divided people for his own possession. That's the, that's the promise that we have to go back to, that Jesus humbled himself. He left his father's throne. He acted in obedience to bring together a divided people, a grumbling people, because at one point or another, all of us have acted godless. Like no one or nothing else mattered but what we wanted. What makes you different than Pharaoh isn't a good heart. It's the unmerited favor of a good God. Let me say that again. What makes you different than Pharaoh, this great enemy of the people of Egypt, isn't a good heart. It's the unmerited favor of your good God. The same God who takes us out into the wilderness to reveal our deep thirst and our tendency towards self-reliance also provides healing and refreshment for much more than our physical life. He provides it for our eternal life through the conduit of his beloved Son. I won't put it up this morning, but Isaiah 53 reminds us that it's through Jesus' wounds that we are healed and that God was pleased to do it. That's an interesting phrase worthy of going back and studying at some point that the wounds inflicted upon Christ, that God the Father was pleased to do it because his punishment brought us peace. It's all in Isaiah 53. No matter where you are, You aren't too far gone that God can't reach. We know from God's pursuit of Israel is His love is instantaneous and unchanging. His love is instantaneous and unchanging. His refinement can be hard, can be costly this side of heaven. And that He will use conduits of His presence, conduits like the church, conduits like other believers, and certainly His word, as the only reliable source of truth to guide us, to define what it means to be obedient. Just as he set the law before the people, it was this this anchor, this bedrock that helped us understand and, and define what being obedient was in a culture that often slips and changes uh, the terms in order to suit its best interest. We have to go back to the Word of God as a means of understanding what it means to be obedient because it judges our motives, it convicts us of sins, and we need it now more than ever before. If you're looking for a place full of imperfect people, never want to not forget to invite people 
um, to join our church. It's, it's interesting this day and age what even being a part of a church is and how you would define that. And so, um, as I've seen in the past with making goals, we make them small. We make baby steps, right? And so maybe your step this morning would just be, come back. Show back up here. Hear the word of God preached. Hear us wrestle through these truths together. Uh, If you'd like to take it a step beyond that, we have these groups that meet during the week, and we're literally wrestling with these truths. We will take the truths of this sermon, um, and we will wrestle through them during the week even more and ask application questions, encourage one another, pray for one another, um, look to guide one another. I mean, that's what we do. And so if you wanted to just take the first step, just show back up. Want to take the next step, join a group and continue to pursue these things uh, with other people. Love to invite you to reach out to us either on the web or email or phone or whatever. Let's pray together. Father, we see so much in your word. You teach us so much. And even though the the look of certain things have changed, the circumstances perhaps uh, look a little different in Exodus 15 as they do in 2021. So much of the realities of the struggles and temptations are the same. The bedrock is, is very similar. And we know beyond that that your truths never change, that you're equipping your people and attempting to teach your children what it means to be faithful. And ultimately, you're trying to teach us that we're incapable of faithfulness without your intervention. So, Father, I pray even now that as we consider these truths that you would intervene, you would allow these truths to sink beyond just our minds and recollecting of whether or not they're factual or not or whether or not they jive with the rest and we would let that path continue on to our heart where these truths begin to root and convict in ways in which we have fallen short and less on how other people have fallen short but we ourselves have not lived up to these standards, the statutes and rules that you set before the people, the ways in which we have trusted and looked for water and Look for other things when water wasn't there to fill our need for Christ. Allow these truths to sink into our hearts. Father, I pray that we would be a church where we're not only a church of good intentions, but good actions. Rooted, fueled by your Holy Spirit, that we would be a church of action that puts these truths in motion. It seeks to contextualize your gospel in our community and amongst the people that you've brought. Father, we believe that there's a hurting world outside of the confines of our, our group, that the found can often huddle together in ways and forget that there are others of those who've been found by Christ and who just need to be brought home. They need the invitation. That you're working already in them, you're causing questions and stirrings, and we as your ambassadors are called to just throw the light up, show them to a place, a community where they can wrestle, they can be provided for in ways in which the world has failed them. They can wrestle, they can gripe, 
they can hear your truth and be changed by it. So, Father, change us, change them. Bless your church and your people, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.